Hey, Jared Dubin here. This is the audio from Tuesday's chat on the Halftime app with the guys from the Chase Down podcast, the Cavaliers' official podcast. It is Justin Rowan and Carter Rodriguez. We talked about the very surprising Cleveland Cavaliers, who have become one of my favorite teams this season, rookie sensation Evan Mobley, Darius Garland's development, what they've gotten from Jared Allen, the future for Colin Sexton, uh, Isaac Okoro, the job done by J.B. Bickerstaff this year, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy. Jared Dubin. I'm here with the hosts of the Chase Down podcast, which incredibly is the official podcast for the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. These are team employees. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. We're on the payroll, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Carter Rodriguez and Justin Rowan. Um, I, that disbelief in your voice, I still share. It, it's been almost a year. I, I guess technically we are independent contractors, but yeah, partnership with the Cavs is uh, still something that feels very surreal to me. It's really cool, honestly. Um, I've, I've been uh, talked about it a little bit. I was uh, extremely wrong about what to expect from the Cavs this year, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I want to start here. 19 and 12, third in the East, 16th in offense, second in defense, fourth in net rating, fourth in SRS at basketball reference. What were you guys' expectations for this team coming into the season, and how has what you've seen on the court ex- um, matched, exceeded, differed? from what you expected coming in? Um, I, I guess I could start. I, I I was pretty high on this team coming into this season, but they have still exceeded my expectations. I think mm-hmm. the most surprising thing to me is just the level of consistency. Um, you look at young teams, historically speaking, and you have inconsistent stretches, right? Like you, you have games where... Uh, they they just didn't show up or or they go on a winning streak and they start feeling themselves and uh, have a letdown game. That hasn't occurred. And I, I think it's the Cavs, Jazz and Warriors are the three teams that haven't lost a game by more than 15 points this season. And, and that's unbelievable. Um, I the, the other thing that's really surprising to me is just the way that every single gamble that they made this offseason seems to have paid off, mm-hmm. like trading your best defensive player when you weren't a strong defensive team and counting on Evan Mobley, a rookie, to replace him. That worked out. Uh, Darius Garland made the leap. Uh, Isaac Okoro seems to be making some progress. Jared Allen made the leap, and the gamble that he could work alongside Evan Mobley seems to be paying off. So just the the fact that everything hit at the same time and this level of consistency is already there is something that even my fever dreams don't contain. Yeah, jo- Justin's kind of the eternal optimist of the podcast. I would like to say I'm more of the realist. And I mean, even my realist, quote unquote, expectations for this thing was like, I think I predicted 34 wins, which is actually like wildly optimistic. They, their over-under was 26 and a half. So like, you know, like we, we saw the reasons why this team would do better. I think even I underestimated just how hurt they were last year. You know, like everyone was like, oh, well, they're going to be worse because they're replacing Larry Nance's minutes with a rookie. And it's like, yes, but Larry Nance was hurt all year or, 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 or playing injured. 
You know, we, he we got like you know, 15 healthy games from him yeah. and then he went down. And, and by the way, the defense was pretty good when he was healthy during those games. Yep. You know, like uh like so you you look at all the the youth on this team and and you think, "Oh, well they shipped out some vets, but they really didn't. They just kind of moved their their experience around and they've just been much healthier." Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that the thing I underestimated was like the potential that Mobley could be like a truly transformative piece as a rookie. You know, I watched, I I don't do as much draft work during the season because I've got so much to watch with, you know, the the NBA teams and then obviously in the playoffs and I've got, I cover football as well. So there's just not as much time to watch college stuff. So I didn't really start watching guys. And this year there was an especially cramped time because the season was delayed and the draft came so quickly Mm -hmm. after the end of the season. So I didn't even get to watch as much as I normally do. And I liked what I saw from Mobley. I just, I guess, missed the potential that he could be this good defensively, particularly in space, this early. And part of the reason that I was not necessarily down on, but not 100% sold on the idea uh, of the Jared Allen contract was because I thought, well, Mobley's going to be a center eventually anyway. And you might as well start training him for that now, but it's only four years. Mobley's still 19, 20 years old. It's not like he can't play center from 23 on. And mm-hmm. the reason I didn't think necessarily that you might want to start training him for it now was because I didn't realize how good he could be in space defensively right away. And that the combination of Mobley in space and Allen near the rim is, I think, the the sort of backbone of that defense, which again, surprisingly is second in the league. Yeah. It's really remarkable. And I I was pretty adamant that I felt Mobley was a four long-term. Like I I think you can close with him at the five or depending Mm -hmm. on matchups, there's things that you can do there. Um, But just from a kind of wear and tear standpoint, I I felt that the pairing with Jared Allen could work really well Uh, in in college. They they were basically running a, a two center lineup with his brother and the big to big passing was really good. So I, I thought with the mobility that those guys have, um, that there there was a future there. I didn't expect it to work this well this early on. And like to, 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 to defend you there, Jared, like I don't think it's reasonable to expect rookies to be this good early on, especially on the defensive end of the court. There there mm-hmm. isn't a lot of examples of that. Um, and for the maturity to be there, for the the processing speed to to be there at this level this early on, um, it's. It's truly surprising, but I, I guess it goes to show just uh, how much work he's put in, uh, not just physically and uh, to his individual game, but studying film and being able to recognize the things that he needs to recognize in order to be a, a cog in such a good defense already this early in his career. And, and it's worth adding as well. I don't think, while I do think he's been amazing defensively and transformative in that way, you know. There's also something that, and Justin and I have said this for a long time, and me specifically, all I've wanted for this Caps team to be the last few years is just more than the sum of their parts, you know? Mm-hmm. They've been, they've never been able to, like, find the right roster construction or culture to, like, have people go, kind of having the kind of conversations we've been having all year, which is, like, how are they doing this? And as much as Mobley is amazing individually, he also just kind of a lot just kind of snapped into place once he entered the lineup at the four. You know, it was oh, you know, we have this small backcourt. We have, and even with Sex and Out, you still have a very you know physically under <laughs> underwhelming defender in Darius Garland. Um, 
you know, how do you, how do you insulate him? It's, it's being able to trap at the front, a hard hedge at the front and still protect your back line. Uh, they're able to, to, to switch out and, and, and use either Jared Allen or Evan Mobley as a switch defender because the back line is still protected. You know, we talk about a team like Utah, whose defense has kind of gotten exposed in the playoffs once play, players can drag Rudy Gobert into space. doesn't really work against the Cavs because there's just another army of seven-footers that are still kind of patrolling the paint behind them. So mm-hmm. even so, while Jared Allen is a very good switch defender and Evan Mobley is a very good switch defender, they still have that backline protection no matter who is pulled into space. And to that end, like, the, the the whole roster construction really just clicked into space for them. And, and, you know, the one red flag I think we were going to see with the two big lineup was on offense. In the last 15 games, they have 113.6 offensive rating. I mean, like, they are playing really, really well together on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. And just everything just sort of clicked in. Yeah, and the the thing that made me even more skeptical of the team was when we saw on that first night they announced that they were starting – marketing at the three and i was like oh no this is gonna be a disaster i mean what do you guys think has been the key to making all three of those guys work together like on either side of the court i I think to me it's continuing the that same line of thinking is there is so much insulation for laurie marketing especially in this new starting lineup with isaac okoro Mm -hmm. where like okay so he doesn't have to guard the best scorer because they have isaac do that and when he gets beat, all he has to do is get back and rotate to whoever's man picked up the guy who beat him. You know, he doesn't have to be this elite offensive or defensive lockdown player. All he has to do is when he does get beat, he's got to maintain enough contact to bother from behind. And then once Evan Mobley or Jared Allen step up to insulate him, he needs to get a body on the, on the big that they just left. And, you know, you don't have to have crazy lateral speed when you've got that much length around you insulating. So, to me, I, I really think his defensive shortcomings have really been just kind of swallowed up by the roster construction around him. Sure, there's going to be times where he looks bad, but like his job is just kind of easy, you know? Like, and we don't talk about that enough with individual defenses. Like, you're so much the product of your environment, what's being asked of you. And like, what's being asked of him is not that hard. He doesn't have to navigate screens, he just switches off one, the second mm-hmm. anyone screens him. And no one even wants to do that because if you're, if you're, uh, you know, playing with uh, a team that has a good wing that has marketing guarding him. Do you really want to bring over your big to screen for him and have Jared Allen or Evan Mobley switch onto him? No, you don't. So like the, your job is just simpler uh, if you're Laurie marketing. So like his deficiencies, while they're still there, they're just hidden to me. And the, the other part that's a lot less sexy is just the communication and effort from the beginning of the season has got better. Like you look at those first three games and the Cavs were really getting killed in transition. Um, Memphis, Charlotte, Atlanta, all teams that really kind of pushed the pace in transition. And that's where, that's where that three big lineup was really getting exposed was even after made baskets, teams would would push the pace and and, uh, there would be confusion in transition. And I, I mean, it's not sexy, but, like the the communication has just been better. Guys know, okay, where who do I need to pick up? Um, they're they're getting back on defense, and once they get into the half court, everything that Carter says is true, right? Like it, they're not asking tons of Laurie Markkinen, and the nice thing is as well, he is putting in a, a legitimate effort on that end of the floor. He's getting into passing lanes, and he's within kind of this insulated structure where he's able to defend at, at the small forward position. 
Um, it, it's allowed him to take some risks and, and to gamble, and, and he's been really effective in that role. Certainly and, not and, something and that either of us saw coming. And it's worth noting, uh, something that really caught, I think, both of us off guard. Before the season, we had uh, the Cavs' top assistant coach, Sidney Lowe, who's you know been in the league for you know decades at this point um, uh, on the podcast. And he went out of his way to talk about how Laurie was like one of the hardest workers on the team. And like a dude who just like made like unbelievable effort in practice all the time. And Justin and I were both like, really? Like, <laughs> like that wasn't his rep by any means. He wasn't known as this grinder kind of guy. I, I kind of always assumed he was like a kind of just a soft dude who, you know, liked to float around the perimeter. And like we've seen a little bit of a hard nose to him in this role. Um, even when he has had to guard the LeBrons of the world where he does just <laughs> enough. And, and it's, I think he really is. And even though his shooting is really just now starting to actually take root, he actually was in a terrible slump to start the season. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think his general ability to make winning plays has been one of the bigger surprises of the season. Cause that is not his reputation uh, in Chicago. And I think defensively, there's something to be said too, for just the value of being really big. You know, Markkinen doesn't have particularly long arms for a seven-foot guy, but he still has really long arms compared to the average NBA player. And then you have both Allen and Mobley, who are the same size as him with even bigger wingspans and with, like, even, like, exponential degrees more of lateral mobility and, the like, being able to erase space. So even if Markkinen gets beat, for example, and has to switch off, he can still provide some help at the rim because all he has to do is stand there and put his hands up. And, and I think a lot of that is having, if you switch one of those guys out, you still have at least one or maybe two of them behind them to protect the rim. And that's mm-hmm. been a huge part of what's made their defense good is being able to shut off shots at the basket. I, I think yeah. the last time I checked, they were first in, in field goal percentage defense at the rim. Like it was them and the Knicks. Yeah, they, def- they definitely are and have been all year. And that's even manifested in ways that you wouldn't expect. Like one thing that I found really noteworthy that kind of speaks to the length of this team is early in the year, they were just abominable on the defensive boards. They were 30th in the league or 29th in the league and were just getting absolutely shredded on the offensive glass by other teams. And it, it, you, know, you were like, oh, they're so big. Why is this happening? But then you looked at uh, opponent second chance points per game. They were like 14th. Like, mm-hmm. like teams were able to get their misses, but they still couldn't freaking score because, you know, you're just playing volleyball up there at a certain point, And they've got three just monsters around the rim that were making it really hard for people to, to even get putbacks. So, like, yeah, I, I do think that, like, so much of their defensive identity is we're enormous and mobile, and that's enough. And they're and, up and to... Uh... is really surprising, too, because in our analysis going into the... The way I viewed it was basically Mobley's going to replace what Nance was giving you. Um, and if his impact isn't as high as Larry, maybe he's going to play more because Nance got hurt, at, I believe, after 17 games last season. He's in and out of the lineup, concussions, illness, a whole bunch of things came up uh, last year for him, unfortunately. And the way I viewed it was that Laurie was going to replace Kevin Love, that he was going to be playing like 32 minutes off a bench, splitting time with Allen and, and Mobley. You know, um, 16 minutes with each kind of investing in these two guys that you invested a five year contract and the third overall pick in 
And theoretically, Laurie Markkinen works really well as a stretch big next to those guys. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening is Kevin Love, uh, after not being healthy last year, after not being healthy with Team USA and not being physically able to contribute there, he came in healthy, uh, willing to contribute in 18, 20 minutes off a bench. And I I think the Cavs kind of, uh, after the preseason, made a pivot where we're just going to get talent on the floor. We, we don't really have any established wings. Uh, the, the one that we do in, in Jetty Osman, we like how he works with Ricky Rubio coming off the bench. So we're just going to put Laurie out there as a three because we really need the spacing for that lineup. And uh, I, I give J.B. Bickerstaff a lot of credit for being able to take those gambles and, or being willing to take some criticism early in the year and, and skepticism that this could work and just finding unique ways to, to get talent on the court. because uh, yeah, no, Nobody's like, making fun of you for starting Isaac Okoro at the three like he did last year. Right. It's like, okay, that's that's safe. And he's like, uh, I think Laurie actually makes sense here. And he just did it. Like they hadn't even really practiced the, with those three very much. It just mm-hmm. kind of made a call and it, it happened to be one that worked out, which is, you know, obviously credit to him. I'm really impressed with him this year. I had been like extremely low on him from what I saw uh, in Memphis and in Houston, I was like, this guy is not adding any value really as a coach with his rotation decisions or with what I see from him schematically. But I think he's done a great job managing the rotation for them this year. I think attaching Rubio and Love together off the bench has worked out really well for them because it gives mm-hmm. them two different kinds of offensive hubs that you need off the bench. You know, you can run things through Love in the post, you can run things through Rubio in pick and rolls. And I think whatever he's said to Rubio or gotten into his head to get him to be more aggressive shooting (laughs) off the dribble, even if he doesn't make them all the time, has been so key for them when he's on the court. Because the idea of him as such a non-threat off the dribble is one of the things that routinely killed his team's offenses when he was on the court for Mm -hmm. the significant majority of his career. And, you know, it's it's not just that game against the Knicks where he hit like nine threes or whatever. He's been much more aggressive shooting off the dribble throughout the entire season. And you got to attribute at least some of that to coaching because he had never done it before. So Well, yeah, they, and they've been saying it literally. I mean, that was one of the things that was kind of nice. Justin and I always talk about how you never really know what is going on behind the scenes, you know. And you, there was this idea that JB just didn't care about threes. And... And then, but like everything they said publicly was like, hey, we want to shoot more. We, we're telling these guys to shoot mm-hmm. more and they're just not. And like, I think people kind of remove player agency a lot. Like it is not Darius's inclination to be a bombs away three point shooter. He yes. loves probing and, and getting an active dribble, getting, you know, using a pump fake to blow by a guy and trying to do something with a four on th- four on three. And like, I think they really had just to make him do it. <laughs> and like, you have to give the coaching staff credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the personnel change is a big part. I, I think Ricky Rubio did, did an interview where he was talking about kind of surveying the guard landscape in the NBA and understanding, Hey, um, a lot of these guys like off the dribble shooting is a, a big part of their game. It opens up other things. Uh, I, I'm going to bring that to my NBA game because I'm, I'm tired of bouncing around. I, I want to uh, continue to be impactful as I continue to age. So I think you got to give credit to Ricky. And then to, to Carter's point there, like when it comes to J.B. Bickerstaff, I think sometimes you can discount the impact of being an interim coach. 
mm-hmm. um, especially in Memphis, where they had veterans that they were looking to move to to kind of restart the rebuild. And the criticism there was, oh, he's not playing the young guys. They're not really shooting threes. Well, he, he leaves uh, after Marcus All and Mike Conley get traded away and the young guys start playing. They start taking fewer threes, though. Uh, when, when he was the interim coach in Houston, they, they led the league in three point attempt rate. So, uh, what we were trying to figure out going into this year is now that there's actually personnel to, to take threes, are you going to see this coaching staff use it? Cause yes, they're, they're saying we want to take more threes. We want to be a more modern offense. Uh, but the, the big question was, okay, now, now that there is some offensive talent that now that the personnel is better, are you going to see adjustments? Are you going to see this coaching staff get a little creative with the offense? So. Um, I, I think it, it's tough to, to weigh what J.B. Bickerstaff did before he was with the Cavs, but it, it's certainly a positive sign that you are seeing more wrinkles in the offense and you are seeing a, a little bit more of a modern attack. He's still young, too. Like, coaches get better just like players mm-hmm. get better. Yeah, and good and bad games, good and bad years. Yeah, he's still in his early 40s, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. So, like, for a coach, especially for a head coach, that's pretty young. You know, he's gonna, 42. Yeah, you're going to add more things schematically. You're going to get better at managing, you know, egos and rotations and things like that. So I, I'm impressed with the job that he's done this year. Um, I want to go a little bit deeper into both Mobley and Garland, since I feel like they're the two guys that are going to really determine the trajectory of the team in the future beyond this year. I want to say that if anybody has uh, any questions for Carter, Justin, or myself, Feel free to send those in the chat, and then if there's time at the end, we will uh, take some questions live on here as well. I know that Jake is still going with his chat an hour and 25 minutes in, so I figure uh, once that wraps up, some pe- some more people will come over from there. But um, so I, I, Let's start with Mobley, because the baseline he's established as a rookie on both ends of the floor is already so high. So I think that uh, the next question is, like, how do you scale up from here? in terms of his responsibility, particularly on offense. He's carrying still, uh, you know, a slightly below average usage rate. His true shooting is, like, slightly below average as well. But that's really good for a guy who is doing as much as he does defensively and contributing in as many different ways as he does on offense. Like, it's not often that you see, like, a center with, I'm looking at it now, an 11% assist rate as a rookie, you know, and it's not like he's turning the ball over a ton either. So what's the best way you think to scale up the amount of responsibility he has offensively? I I think just as he continues to get more comfortable using him um, in the high post, using him as kind of a facilitator there, um, he's someone kind of similar to like a Marcus All or a Jokic where he just goes out there and makes the right play, right? And right now you're seeing a lot of times when the uh, defenses trap Darius Garland, um, he's that outlet, right? Like you you Mm -hmm. toss it into Mobley, he makes the right read in those situations and I, I think as he continues to get more comfortable and he continues to develop his offensive game and, and uh, grow as a score, you're going to be able to take advantage of that with, with some off-ball actions, whether it's cuts from guys like Okoro, uh, big-to-big plays with, with Jared Allen or, or Laurie Markkinen, and just really kind of using him more and more as a playmaker. Um, I, I think one of the nice things about bringing Evan Mobley in and him being so naturally inclined to be that connecting piece is Cavs already had a, a good amount of young talent around him. He he wasn't going to be going to a situation like Houston or Detroit where 
I, I mean, you you look at a Detroit game, Kate Cunningham's making the right decision almost every time down the court, but there just isn't the personnel around them to capitalize on that. So I think the Cavs are in a better situation, and it's just going to be a gradual process as he continues to get more comfortable as a scorer. You're going to be able to leverage that attention that he's drawing uh, to create opportunities for other people. And I, I really do think the, the biggest area for growth uh, or opportunity to kind of scale up his impact is by using him as a playmaker. So I, I think that he's already a pretty good playmaker. Um, I think that for him in terms of as a scorer, it's it, a lot of its strength. I know it's a really boring answer, but like we had this idea that his, his frame and his, his strength w- would be what hindered him on the defensive end of the court. Hasn't really been the case. Um, like, a few guys have mashed him. DeAndre Ayton kind of mashed him a couple times early uh, in the season. But, like, for the most part, he hasn't been hurt by his strength defensively. On offense, I think that's actually where it's hurt. There are a lot of times where he just – he goes to, you know, bump a guy and, and hit a fadeaway, and he's just kind of lost all his juice by the time he's going up mm-hmm. with the shot. Uh, and, and you know, there are just some times where – because he actually likes playing physically. He likes bumping, st- you know, doing a, a drop step and yamming it. But there just aren't that many players he can do that to right now. So a lot of his game is based on fadeaways and floaters. And he's really, really good at those. That's how he's mustered a just slightly below average uh, true shooting percentage. But, like, I think that as a scorer, the the second he gets a little stronger, that'll that'll put uh, a little less onus on his shot-making ability, which is already pretty good. But, like, I, I think, like, he will find him his way to way more easy buckets. I mean, that's something we've seen with Anthony Davis is he's gotten older. Is he's just a lot stronger when he decides he actually wants to attack. And luckily for Evan Mobley, he is not nearly as contact averse as Anthony Davis is. You know, I, I, <laughs> he spends I less time good. falling down on the floor too, which is nice. That's that's yes. huge. Like it, I expected there to be a lot more nervous moments with Mobley, like hitting the ground and worried so, about yeah, his injuries no. and the frame and whatnot. And it's a lot more kind of like the the Chris Bosh, Kevin Garnett, where they're not really like you're landing every single time. And and that's a really nice thing to see. Uh, There's so many exciting players around the league where just every single time they go up, it's terrifying. And I think it speaks to to the core strength and and balance that that Mobley has developed. I mean, uh, I think everyone saw the videos of him doing backflips on the beach. Uh, You shouldn't be able to do that as a seven-footer. So what he's physically able to do, even though he's so slight, is, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I'm not talking about adding 20 pounds of muscle in the weight room. I'm talking about going from being a 19-year-old kid to being a 22-year-old man. You know, like, there, you add a lot of functional strength as you get older, and I think that is going to serve him so well. And you I'm became really a man at 22? My God, Carter. Look at you <laughs> showing off your maturity, physical well, and otherwise. I'm Jewish. I became a man at 13. Um, <laughs> but, well, now you're really showing off. Come yeah, on. No, Justin, I think we were talking about that on Twitter one day. With like, We were talking about, I can't remember which game it was, but I was like, yeah, he's doing like everything you'd want from him on both ends, except he just got pushed six feet off the block by like Gordon Hayward or mm-hmm. whatever. And, you know, that's, again, that's the kind of thing that comes as you get older. And I'm way less worried about that than I was about like, how is he going to do defensively? Is the mobility going to translate to being able to erase all that kind of space? And I think that that has already happened. Like you mentioned Bosch and KG, like we're already talking about this 20 games into a guy's rookie season. Like 
It's crazy. You shouldn't be talking about that, but also we should definitely be talking about that with this guy <laughs> right now because that's the kind of look that he has. Like, I haven't been it's, this impressed with a rookie big man in such a long time. I mean, and yeah. this is demeanor too, Jed. Like, I mean, he is so – like, I think there was some draft chatter about him. You know, like, whenever the, whenever there's a, there's a long line of big men that got drafted because they were freak bigs that didn't really seem to love basketball. <laughs> You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Evan is so gentle uh, and so soft spoken. I think there was this idea that he might not have the killer instinct that you want to see out of out of a top pick. And turns out he's just Tim Duncan, demeanor wise, like super passionate. <laughs> slim but, Duncan, baby. Yeah, yeah, Slim Duncan. I mean, but like, seriously, he he is super passionate. Uh, he got pushed around in summer league and asked the Cavs if they could send training staff to help him get stronger before the regular season and before preseason. Like, this is not a dude – you should not mistake um, uh, being uh, soft-spoken for passiveness because that is not him at all. And I think that – I think uh, there was some armchair psychology that kind of blew up in people's faces with him because he is so uh, in command of what he's doing out there. And there, there's no, there's nothing passive about it. Like I've mentioned that when he will catch the ball in the post on a mismatch and teams will kind of fake a dig down to try to kind of scare him into getting rid of the ball, like he ain't happening. Like he waits for the hard double to come before he makes a decision. Like you, you aren't going to kind of faint him into a bad decision because he's panicky. He, he is very, very under control. And I think more, maybe not more than anything, but as much as anything, that is what I find so impressive and exciting about him. And, and, and I think there's a, a sneaky, quiet part that, that's been going on with this Cavs roster construction and the drafting that they've done over the last few years. Like all of these guys are guys that Kobe Altman had some familiarity with through Team USA, through through his connections with Team USA and whatnot. Like, all of these guys are guys that had relationships with one another off the court. Uh, in some instances, they were friends with one another. All of them had reputations as really hard workers. And for the Cavs that, that were trying to develop a culture, like we, we said, like, it's not going to happen until you start winning. Like, I, I don't care how good your culture is if you're winning 19, 20 games. Um, there's going to be cracks that show guys are going to get frustrated. They're, they're going to complain to the media and whatnot. That's just the, the realities of life. But if you put enough of these kind of hardworking guys and, and put the right development people, uh, uh, the, I, I think the Cavs have a great development staff with guys like Mike Garrity that, that have helped turn around the jump shots of some of these guys on, on, on the team. And you, you kind of put that all together and you hope eventually that the culture changes from within. And, and I think, uh, what you saw this year, like these guys all showed up two, three weeks before training camp because they understood, hey, we're going to have a, a starting lineup with an average age under 22. Uh, there is going to be issues developing chemistry, to finding continuity and all that stuff. And they had a training camp before the training camp. And I think that really paid dividends and helped reduce the learning curve. And you just don't see that with, with every uh, with every team. And I, I think it, it's a really, really positive thing. We didn't know whether or not it was going to pay dividends. I, I know Carter said he predicted 34 wins. I, I predicted 37. Like, neither of us were expecting a winning record because we have a respect for just how hard it is to win in the NBA and uh, that these things take time and young guys make mistakes and uh, we're almost halfway through the season and I was expecting a, a regression to happen by now. It's probably still going to happen at some point. 
where these guys are making mistakes. But the nice thing is when your defense is this good, they've had off nights offensively and they've managed to, to hang in those games because they're so unconventional and the defense is so good that uh, it, it keeps them in games, it, even against really good teams when the Cavs are having an off night offensively. Yeah, um, TTPMB, we're going to get to your question when we go a little bit deeper on Garland. Um, Grizzlies hype asked, what do you guys think of some of the other young players in the roster, like Dylan Windler and et cetera? I mean, Windler's like not even one of the younger guys in the roster. He's 25. So <laughs> um, whoever's typing, Justin or Carter, that's uh, very loud. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I was muted. I don't know why it was uh, picking up. I, I, I had hit mute. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no worries. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, Windler is, is not even that young in comparison to the rest of the roster. But before we go in on Garland, I mean, Windler, um, I guess, Markkinen, um, Jared Allen is 23. Mm-hmm. Um, Acor- Let, let's talk about Okoro, too. I think he's a really interesting player. I remember watching him um, in the pre-draft process. And thinking like, hey, this guy is a pretty interesting post game. You could use him as like a small ball kind of four, maybe. And they're using him like essentially as a two. And um, I'm interested what you guys think of him as uh, not necessarily as a prospect, but just in terms of the way he fits with this group. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about the jumper for him in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, it is hard for them to function when the jumper is busted. And to start the year, it was real, real busted. He had a hamstring injury and was shooting like 24% from three. And, you know, when you're already playing two bigs, one of whom is a a nascent jump shooter and Evan Mobley, but not exactly a guy who's going to demand a lot of gravity, sometimes things got a little crunchy. Luckily, they had a lot of big-to-big passing and good IQ that they were kind of surviving. But there's a reason they're, you know, 16th, 17th in offense right now. Um despite having some really great breakout performances on that side of the ball. Um, with that said, you know, uh, I do think that the Cavs kind of learned last year that while he is a great defender, he is really, really good at guarding the smaller players uh, in the league. He's only 6'5". He's not exactly a big wing. Um, and, like, I think that they kind of found that guys had a lot of success shooting over him. Uh, some of these bigger six eight six nine wings, whereas at the two when he was chasing around point guards, you really really felt him. He's he's really bothered Trey Young early in his career. Guys like that that he can kind of be physical with, uh, but and, and kind of fight through the the barrage of screens that those guys get. I mean, I, I, there are not a lot of players who are better at staying connected defensively uh, than Okoro. Uh, and then, but you know, we're at this point now where his defense is so good that his offense doesn't even have to be good. It just has to be not horrific. You know, if he's at 33, 34% from three on two, three attempts a game, I'm like, all right, yeah, you can be out there. Cause you are, cause paired with the, the Mobley Allen front court, it's like, how are you supposed to score on these guys? He's, um, he just can't be Tony Allen offensively. Um, right. the, the point you made about defending smaller guys better like it's very uh danny greeny to me where you know he has the size where you'd think like maybe he could defend some big wings but he's just better against point guards i don't know what it is whether it's you know the mobility or just that the fact that he's bigger and longer than them allows him to be you know a little bit more physical i I think he's really good at defending those guys and that really helps with garland too because he is so slight like you guys mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. no absolutely like i 
I think Okoro is one of the bigger swing pieces uh, when you look at the rest of the young guys. Like Dylan Windler, it's disappointing. Like guy that played four years in college, never missed a game, never missed a game in high school, and then kind of breaks down in summer league uh, right after they draft him and just hasn't yeah. been able to get right physically since. Didn't help like, that Be- Bayline was running two a days, but <laughs> I, I think there were three a days in there, Carter. Oh, oh my God. Remember God. Beeline? I mean, like. <laughs> Not that, that was long like two ago, years buddy. ago. The vibes were not this good. I'll tell you it, what. Yeah, that that was shockingly not that long ago. But uh, I, I think when it comes to a coral, like I I would say, like I I'm I think he's going to at least be a rotation player. Like I think his defense already kind of justifies that. And maybe you're looking at like a Thibault type situation. Uh, the way I would put it is, I own land on a coral island, but I'm not ready to build just yet. Uh, you have heard some people, like uh, some players weigh in, like Larry Nance, uh, prior to Mobley kind of establishing himself and showing what he is, saying, I, I think Okoro has the, the highest upside out of anyone in the young core, which I, I think is a pretty big statement. Jimmy Butler uh, has come out and said that he's a real big believer in Okoro. And I mean, really, he's only three months older than Mobley. Uh, which is kind of <laughs> staggering to factor in. But when it comes to his offense, like I, I do think that there is advantages to playing him at the two. Uh, I think there was a learning curve for Coro, Garland, Sexton, uh, and, and a lot of guards around the league where there was freedom of movement that was that being was allowed in the paint uh, in, in the past couple of years. And that went away. Teams were allowed to be a little more physical in, inside there. that You weren't getting a call. Um, just every single time you went into the paint. And I think last year when he had that kind of last month where he was averaging 17 points per game playing at the shooting guard position, uh, there was a lot of that, right? Like he's just a very strong player that finishes well at the rim. So if you're allowing freedom of movement, he's going to be able to get some points. And coming off the hamstring injury and and all, all the things that he dealt with early in the season, I think there was a bit of a learning curve. But you're seeing the intelligence, the the cutting off ball, uh, the the smart passes he makes, being a, another one of those connecting pieces for the Cavs. And I, I agree with Carter. Like I, I think the biggest thing is if that three point shot comes around, I think it opens up everything. I, I think it opens up his ability to get to the rim. I, I think it opens up his playmaking. Uh, he he's just got s- such high IQ and such a great work ethic that. If that part comes along, I, I think he could really take this team to another level. So uh, while I'm not the most confident that he's going to hit his ceiling, um, I, I wouldn't count him out. Like, it, yeah, and, and the he's, one he's thing another that... one of those crazy work ethic guys um, that just everyone just raved that, he, that he's an absolute monster. So uh, I, I'm curious to see where he ends up uh, becoming as a player. Yeah, and one thing that him playing at the two also helps with is while he's a good athlete, he is not an above-the-rim finisher for the most part. He isn't one of these guys who really skies up for creative layup angles. He, like I, I've kind of compared him to Jay Crowder and how he kind of uh, will will have to find creative below-the-rim angles to to get the ball up. And you know, w- because he doesn't have an elite handle either, being able to attack smaller guards who are defending him and use his strength and his physicality to generate those angles. Uh, goes a really, really long way. When he tries to guard against guys who are as big as him, oftentimes you see those like those no chance type layup attempts. You know that mm-hmm. you know he's kind of hurling it up at a, at an angle or it hits the backboard super hard. 
He's he's kind of got to generate his angle before he rises for the layup for the most part. And going up it's against terrible guards, timing when he dunked line. on three people in the last game he played. Yeah, yeah, terrible <laughs> timing to say that, but for the most part, that has been the way. Uh, you know, he kind of needs that running start. Uh, that that mm-hmm. that angle to to yam on people. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about Garland. Um, this guy has become pretty like good. One, one of my favorite guys in the entire league to watch this year. Um, so much fun. You mentioned earlier the way he really likes to probe into the lane, and I thought he did uh, in his first couple seasons like a little bit too much of that. Like he was too excited to get into the paint at times, almost, and not necessarily to be a threat himself from inside the paint and now he's sort of leveraging the threat of himself inside the paint to create everything else that he's able to create he's shooting more threes like i I don't think necessarily that sexton getting injured like makes him better but i do think it's sort of clarified that he's got to be the guy to create the outside in version of the offense and i think that that's kind of helped him get everything else going over the last month and a half or so yeah like it's very clear that Garland should have the keys uh, when it comes to this team uh, coming into camp. Uh, the all the, everything we heard was, "Hey, Darius is our best player. Like he he is the guy that that is making all of this work. He's taken another leap where we could not be more excited." And it's nice to see that come to fruition because we we saw some signs of that last year. Uh, he played 15 games in April of last year, averaged 21 and seven. Uh, he was starting to understand that if I am assertive. Uh, offensively, it's going to create opportunities for other mm-hmm. players because he, at his heart, he he is a pass-first player. But uh, I think it took some convincing to get him to understand, hey, if I'm taking seven threes, the defense is going to react to me differently. It's going to allow me to get into the paint, create opportunities for myself and others. And that maturity, I, I think, has been the biggest thing this year. I agree. I, I don't think it, it is a product of Sexton getting hurt. Um, I, I think when you look historically, like even last year when he was averaging 21 and 7, Sexton was having his best scoring month. And when they would play well, they would play off, well off of one another. Um, but there, there was very clearly an adjustment, even when Sexton was in the lineup where he was playing primarily off ball he was playing as a cutter spot up opportunities and a little bit of a reduced role where maybe his his usage rate hadn't dropped off a whole lot but his time with the ball in his hands went way down because they understood hey garland needs to be the guy that that's running this thing so for him to take the step that uh, i was hoping to see uh is probably my favorite part uh, of this Cavs season because i i've been uh, on Darius Garland Island for a long time. I, I've been uh, a believer, and uh, for him to to put it all together so far this season ha- has been really, really. Yeah, and it's it's funny that you mentioned the Sexton thing because you know there there is a, you know, obviously a vocal contingent of Sexton super fans on Twitter, and a lot of them are, were like furious at the way the Cavs were playing to start the year. They're like mm-hmm. they're 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 trying to marginalize Sexton so they don't have to pay him. So, like, I do really very much, which is obviously ridiculous, but, uh, you know, like, I do think that we were seeing this before he even got hurt. It just put it into and, – and I think more people were paying attention, frankly. Like, you know, uh, uh, the Cavs starting and se- starting seven and four is cool, and, you know, some hardcore people might have noticed and start diving in. That's a far cry from 19 and 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know where everyone's now really seeing what they're doing and 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 really starting to like you know it's it's a little more worth paying attention to and when you look at it you see 
Garland, I think there's an inherent connection of those two things that I'm not sure is there. But either way, whatever it is, Garland is the is becoming the player we want him to be. And by the way, like it's not like he's like lighting it up as a scorer. The Cavs are one of the only teams in the league without a single twenty point per game scorer. Um, Darius is only averaging nineteen points, um, but it's it's the command of the offense, it's the diet of the shots that he's taking, and the way he's manipulating the defense that is he's one of the great ceiling raisers. Justin just tweeted out just how crazy. Uh, their on-off differential is with him on on the floor and off the floor. He really is the the straw that stirs the drink for them. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, like it, it's not even like his usage rate is that much higher this season. I think it's like a half a percentage point higher overall, and then like two and a half percent higher since Sexton went out. But the time that he spent with the ball in his hands is way up. It's less of a you know burden sharing, which obviously with Sexton out was not going to be the case anyway, because it's not like you're going to count on. Okoro to do all that much off the dribble creation but I mean that's the kind of thing that you need from your lead ball handler these days and I think the next step for him is probably being more willing to put up eight nine ten threes a game he can knock them down you know yeah. like it's at, we're, it's getting to the point where if your you know point guard is a really good shooter and he's taking five six threes a night that's probably not enough because the other guy is going to do more of it and you don't want to take away the 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 passing mentality like there was i can't remember which game it was that i was watching maybe uh a week or two ago and i said on twitter like usually if garland has more assists than shots that's a sign that he's not being aggressive enough oh was the game where they blew out they won by like 30 against yeah, that, that that's not that's um, that's luckily not that clarifying. They win by thirty every other game. No, no, um, <laughs> it was it was yeah, no, 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 it was Minnesota, um, uh, where they were up by like thirty, and then they wound up winning by seventeen. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had whatever it was like nine assists and six shots, and I was like, this is great. He's like doing whatever he wants off the dribble, but also finding he like tortured Carl Towns for thirty <laughs> yes. minutes or whatever it was. It was like he was making him look ridiculous and um i'm not it, sure i've seen a player who who goes up for either a floater or lob where i have so little clue as to what it's going to be mm-hmm. like he disguises those lobs so well that like these bigs just can't leave him because it looks just like his floater so either you give up a wide open floater five feet from the rim or you get absolutely yammed on by jared allen and evan mobley he presents such a problem for these people the other guy, either way, he floater, really uh, you. the other guy who's floated looks exactly the same as his lob is the guy who the Allen Allen got there in the trade for him for James Harden. It's like yeah, you can't tell point. if he's taking a floater or throwing it to Nick Claxton under the rim. It's like the exact same thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It, to to me, the the biggest story of the season is just how good. Well, Allen taking a, a massive step forward is great. Garland taking a massive step forward is great. Mobley being this good this early on is fantastic. But the fact that those three together, uh, when you're talking about a 20, 21-year-old and a 23-year-old, in 411 minutes, they have a plus 11.6 net rating. Like, to me, that's your core. And yeah, you, you have some other guys under 25 in Okoro, Sexton, Laurie. Uh, you have a lot of picks to, to play with, a lot of assets. To me, those three are the core. I think you you keep those 
three together. Uh, you might have someone step up internally that helps raise your ceiling. Uh, you might cash some of those other assets in to, to make a trade for a young player that fits with those three. Uh, but for me, there's enough proof of concept that this works. The dynamic playmaker with these two very versatile big men. This, this to me is, is the Cavs identity. And, and I think when you're looking at kind of addressing what this team needs to add to me, it's another big playmaker, like a, a small forward that can run some of the offenses well and, and take some of that load off of Garland and, and give them an option when they go up against a team like Milwaukee that just has defenders and length absolutely everywhere. I, I think that's the next step uh, when you're looking at the Cavs moving forward. I'm sure you've seen our Brandon Ingram tweets. <laughs> no, I, I, I would do irresponsible things to get Brandon Ingram on this team. <laughs> uh, I do wonder how that would affect the uh, the defense that they've so elegantly constructed. But I my mean, counter that, would be Laurie Markinen's playing the three. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, and At especially least... if they can keep Okoro. If you sandwich a uh, Brandon Ingram between Okoro, Mobley, and Allen, uh, I don't have a lot of concerns, and I, I would be hopeful that some of his uh, Lakers days defense uh, comes back. You might have the two like thinnest guys in the league, though, if you had Ingram and Garland, which would be interesting. <laughs> and I remember Mobley. <laughs> and Mobley, yeah. I, mean, I remember. I got to step away for two seconds. I got a fire alarm going off in my house. Oh, nope, just went off. Kylie got it. Never <laughs> mind. I didn't think my takes were that hot, Carter. I, re- I remember talking to, uh, to Corey Brewer back in the day when I was doing a story on Brandon Ingram and talking about like how to make your way through the league as a super skinny guy. And he was just like, you just have to use your length. If you get once you figure out the best way to use your length, you'll be okay. And I feel like A, Mobley already does that. B, Ingram kind of like forgot how to do that. Um, and, and C, Jared Allen was not you know, that thick when he came into the league either. And he was able to use his length early on as a rim protector for the Nets, especially when they would go to like that modified zone defense that they had during his time there when, the, when Kenny Atkinson was still coaching. And that Figuring out how to do that now that he's also bigger really, really helps them defensively. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, um, we got a question here from TTP and Beat. How much cap space will the Cavs have next offseason? If I'm remembering correctly, not a ton. They also have the cap hold for, uh, for Sexton, who's going to be a restricted free agent. And obviously there was you know the trade rumors – last offseason and i would would imagine there will be even more trade rumors this offseason with him hitting free agency um yeah i mean if they could decline obviously ricky rubio's cap hold for 26.7 million dollars i don't imagine they're going to want to do that maybe they could get him signed for a little bit less than that but even with you know sexton's cap hold is also 19 million dollars they're going to likely come into the offseason functionally over the cap but they can Mm -hmm. figure out different ways to make it work. But, uh, you know, I think the, the question is like, what's the best way to make use of Sexton? I think that having him come off the bench as a, you know, a microwave scorer type makes a lot of sense, but you don't necessarily want to pay too much for that type of player. And I imagine he specifically has designs on being more than that over the next phase of his career and is certainly going to want to be paid more than, you know, microwave six man type. Yeah, I, I, I think a contract that is a good comparable is Terry Rozier, where you're looking at like just over 20 million a year. 
Um, I, I could see maybe less term on the contract, uh, just kind of a bridge deal, giving him an opportunity to um, go out and, and earn a larger deal. He can get that. Like, I, I think whether he's starting or not, because when you look at the last couple of years, he was always the first sub out, right? Like he was that guy coming out of the lineup after four minutes uh, so that he could play with the second unit. And I think it's really unfortunate that this is the year where he had this injury, because I, I think having Ricky Rubio to play alongside him in the second unit, one helps defensively um, Two, it helps kind of utilize his ability off ball. Cause he really worked hard on his off ball game uh, showed a lot of growth defensively was kind of, uh, contributing in ways that you wouldn't expect to start the season while his three-point shot wasn't going down. I, I think in theory, if you were going to make it work with guards as short as Garland and Sexton, Mobley and Allen would be the type of guys that mm-hmm. you would want to have. Like you, you look at Utah, they're, they're starting uh, two guys six one and under as well. And Rudy Gilbert helps make up for that although you do have issues at the point of attack come playoffs. Um, but yeah, like especially with Sexton coming off of the meniscus and Isaac Okoro playing so well, I could see this kind of naturally facilitating uh, a bit of a move to a, a six-man role. I would ex- still expect him to play starters minutes. I think he's more than just a, a microwave scorer. Like I, I don't think he's just a Jordan Clarkson. Uh, you look at him averaging 24 points, four and a half assists, um, a, as a starter last year, I, I think that's noteworthy. I, I, I just think with him coming off of the meniscus with Okoro playing so well, uh, and maybe the need to bring him along a little slower, uh, that could help facilitate a, a situation where maybe it, it, the better comparables, a, a little more like Ginobili where, yeah, he's coming off the bench from a fit standpoint, but he's still going to be playing starters minutes. The, the Cavs have a few guys coming off the bench this year, playing starters minutes. And, and I, I would anticipate him being back because I just don't expect the, the value to be out there on the trade market with him coming off this injury. Yeah. You just, you just look at you, this team and you, you see them miss him right now. They're playing so well. And I still am like, Damn, there are games where I really wish they had Sexton to go to. They they only have one break glass in case of emergency player right now, and that's Darius Garland. Mm-hmm. And you can see him start to wear down right now uh, mm-hmm. against teams. I mean, we saw it happen against the Kings when they were, you know, they had that, you know, that basketball heaven into the first half. They were up like 35 points, and the Kings got it down to seven, and the Cavs just couldn't generate a good look because Davion Mitchell was just pounding Darius and they didn't have a lot of release valves. So, you know, you look at a guy like Sexton, he's a great, great release valve. I think we know he's not a play starter at this point in his career, but he's proven to be a very capable play finisher. He is an absolute terror in transition, which the which a team like this playing two bigs should be trying to get as many easy buckets as they can. Uh, he has mostly been a good shooter in his career, though he was not a good shooter to start the year. And he is a sneaky, capable backdoor cutter. I mean, uh, when you're that big, or I'm sorry, when you're that fast and you can catch defenses sleeping on the weak side, you can generate some really good looks for yourself, especially when you have a couple of savants at point guard and Ricky Rubio and Darius Garland that can find you, especially, and also some bigs that are really good passers. So I think the fit is there. I think maybe the role, if if the, the stop here is if the Cavs just can't offer the role that Colin Sexton thinks he deserves. Like, if Colin wants to be a pound-the-rock lead ball handler type, I don't think the Cavs can accommodate that at this point. 
But also, I think that he is someone who just really likes basketball and likes winning. Uh, and, and we're, we're seeing, and I think that, that, like, I think we're kind of seeing that winning is kind of the cure all, uh, to, to most issues, you know, like, you, like I, if you had told me Kevin Love would be playing 17 minutes a game and doing pretty well at it yes. and completely fine, like no, no gripes, despite being a very good contributor for the team, I would probably not have believed you, but that, that's what winning does. It makes things, makes everything easier. Yeah, so you you mentioned the if he wants that you know pound the rock role they like they might not accommodate it. they shouldn't accommodate it like if he wants to stay and be you know more of a complimentary player that's great and they should be happy to have him but it can't be like he wants to to be you know the co lead with Garland again and we're just gonna do that I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for them I, I also think the, the the issue you mentioned about the break class in case of emergency option that I think also let if and when Mobley gets stronger, that's really going to help them. Because all of a sudden you have both a perimeter switch beater and an interior switch beater. And that helps you so much in those situations when, you know, if somebody is getting up in your point guard or if they're switching screens and you can't really get anything off the dribble, then all of a sudden you can throw it into him, whether at the elbow or on the block or wherever else, or go to the four or five pick and roll that they run a couple times a game. Like if I can actually, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, but if I can add one thing to that, yeah, uh, Evan Mobley being the type of player he is, is also transformational on the offensive end of the ball because there are a lot of teams, like we're seeing this with the Lucas of the world, and there's obviously there's no, no, um, no gripes, but you know, a lot of these wing players uh, and guards that kind of demand heliocentric offenses put around them unless you've got something better. Um, you, you have to be very, very selective with what type of player you could put around a LeBron James or a, or a Luka Doncic offensively because you really want them to have the ball all the time uh, and, and initiating a ton of high pick and roll. Like if you're not initiating a ton of high pick and roll Luka Doncic, you're kind of messing up, right? Uh, whereas with Mobley, like a guy like Sexton who is not a perfect archetype, like a guy like Sexton, I do not think would be great next to a Luka Doncic. Like, uh, you know, where like he can't like you can let Colin Iso in a lineup where it's him and Mobley out there because Mobley is such a great connector on that side of the ball. Like you can accommodate a lot of different player types because even as Mobley gets better, I just don't think it's in his DNA to be a 30 point per game scorer. Uh, he, he'll get there on, on certain nights, but like I think he's very Garnett in that way where he can kind of accommodate anyone else's play style. He, you don't have to change who you are to play alongside a guy like Evan Mobley. Man, I can't believe we're talking about Kevin Garnett comparisons for a 20-year-old rookie. It's fucking awesome. It is. <laughs> I, I'm very what, happy that we awesome are, though. I, I, I'm very, very happy that we are. And uh, I'm I, as great as the season has been, I'm, I am disappointed that Sexton got hurt because I think he was already playing that way. And, like... You look at those first 11 games. Garland got hurt three minutes into the first game. Uh, then they, he toughed it out that game, but had to sit out for a while. It took him a little while to, to get going and get comfortable again. Uh, Sexton was doing all the little things, but only shooting 24% from three. Would have been nice to, to see that go up because he's a career 38% three-point shooter. Um, it, it's For a guy that that is all about winning, I think he had a really great opportunity. Um, to kind of rewrite some of those narratives the, the same way that guys like Garland and the other Kaz or Jetty Osman are rewriting the way that people look at them. 
because uh, he was already playing the way that people wanted him to play, but he just yes, got, got hurt, hurt and hasn't had that opportunity. So I think he, he's going to have to come back next season and try to rewrite the way that people view him. And it'll be really interesting to see how they balance that. And it's pretty unfortunate. Um, before I let you go, first of all, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Second of all, uh, I don't necessarily want to know what your, you know, your expectations or predictions are or anything like that for the rest of the year. You don't got to be like, you know, oh, they're going to make the second round of the playoffs. But w- what are you looking for the rest of the way? Like, what are the things you want to see and what are the, the indicators going to be for you that they're moving in the direction that you want them to be moving? I think for me, it's incremental growth, right? Like they are going to have setbacks, but how do they respond to those setbacks? Like when you have a three game losing, uh, do you go away from what's been working? Um, I, I think that's going to be the the most important thing. Uh, and we're probably going to see that assuming they do make the playoffs. Uh, you're going to see that in a playoff series. Teams are going to start making adjustments. I think it's a, a sneaky thing about the NBA season is because there's so many games, at least when they're not being postponed, uh, teams don't tailor game plans to counter what you're doing. But when you go into a playoff series, especially against teams with more experience, teams are going to make adjustments. They're going to try to take away the Cavs' bread and butter. And seeing how they respond to that is going to be the most important thing. I, I don't care. If there's failures, I don't care if there's missteps. It's all about how they respond to those situations as they come and uh, learning from those opportunities. Because when, when you're talking about a team that's young, you're not playing for a championship this season. You're, you're playing for the experience and, and to kind of figure out what does and does not work. So uh, for me, I, I think my expectations have shifted. I, I would like to see them avoid the plan. Obviously, um, there's contact situations where, let's say, they lose a bunch of games because of COVID and fall down the standings. Like um, that's certainly possible. Uh, but I, I think this is a team that can be competitive in a, a playoff series. And, and I'm interested to see whether or not they rise to that occasion. Yeah. I think for me, it is, it's all the things Justin said. And then also figuring out. So we know Garland Mobley and Allen are the core at this point. Like I have so little doubt in my mind that those are the three and I think back to uh, a quote, uh, David Griffin, uh, now embattled Pelicans GM and former Cavs GM, uh, gave our friend David Zavak several years ago. And it's like, when you have LeBron, you have to be really thoughtful about who you put around him. And I think what I'm looking for the rest of the year is, one, the same, the growth, all that fun stuff, uh, seeing how they handle being punched in the mouth. I'm also trying to figure out, is there core three people or is it four or five or six? You know, like... How many of these other players are people that, you know, like, should we be building on Okoro Island to use Justin's reference? Like, or, or, or should they start thinking about meaningful upgrades? Because, you know, as much as we like to say with these young teams, oh, you know, they'll have years and years. That very rarely is the case. Yeah. Once the team gets good and once the, the looming specter of expectation starts hovering, you know, this, this year is the fun and games year, but next year, uh, is is you know they're going to come in with legitimate expert expectations if they continue to trend this way. So Kobe Altman getting a ton of data on whether Isaac Okoro is the guy at the two, whether he needs to chase a meaningful upgrade at the three uh, and move Laurie Markin into the bench, whether they should, whether they need to invest in Ricky Rub- uh, Ricky Rubio extension, even at a, a number maybe higher than the market would tell you because he's been so important for them. Those are the things I think they they've got to figure out in the in the very immediate future. Yeah, I think it's worth watching also how the 
the Allen Mobley front line does playoff wise. We've seen mm. guys in the Allen mold not necessarily get played off the floor, but not be as effective defensively in the playoffs as in the regular season. I've got, you know, a pretty high degree of confidence that he can handle himself in some switches, not necessarily all of them. And if guys target that over and over, that's something to take a look at too. Like I'm very confident in Garland and Mobley being part of the 100% long-term core. Um, Allen, I could see going either way, even though I do like the way it works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm very curious about that as well. Like yeah. what I like about that pairing is if they really work out well and they both kind of reach their apex outcomes, teams have to adjust how you construct a roster mm-hmm. to attack an Evan Mobley, Jared Allen pairing if that pair really gets optimized in the right way. So I, I think that's a, a really good call out to, to see how that pairing works in a playoff series. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I love watching this team, which is like the one of the biggest surprises of the the 10 or or 12 years now that I've been covering the league. It's so much fun. Um, Thank you guys again for doing this. Um, You can find the Chase Down podcast uh, at Chase Down Pod on Twitter. I'm sure you can get all the links. You can find these guys on Twitter um, at Cavs Anada, I think it's spelled right. It looks so good in writing, and it's so tough to say out loud. Yeah, let's go Cavs Anada. Is that how you pronounce it? So good. Oh, it looks so good, Carter. Trust me. (laughs) And uh, it's Carter underscore shade, right? Sure is. Yeah. All right. Um, Thanks again for doing this. Like I said, appreciate it. And uh, be back Thursday. Guest unknown as of yet, but working on some some possibilities here. Uh, Enjoy the games this evening. Enjoy the Cavs this season, man. I love it. We very much do. Thank you for having us, Jared.